Well, welcome to Story of Hope podcast, where we're sharing the story of how Bible translation brings hope to the people groups of the world. My name is Esther. I am the front person of Eversmith. We've been partnered for a long time now with Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand. And uh, we were previously the Next Generation Ambassadors, and now we're just straight up ambassadors. So musical ambassadors, rather. So we're excited to be here. And my co-host is Alex. Yeah, hi, I'm Alex. Um, I work at Wycliffe New Zealand. Um, I do a lot of work with our communications. Um, and today we're here joined by Graham, who is the pastor of Grace International Church here in New Zealand. Um, would you like to introduce yourself further, Graham? Yeah, Graham Davison, and currently my wife and I, Glenda, pastor Grace International, which is a church in Glen Innes, and we established it um, in 1997. Um, it's a very missional church, and uh, so it's a joy to be on the podcast here today and having got to know uh, the uh, Smith family, um, Esther and, and uh, Caleb and, of course, Phil. Haven't had the pleasure of meeting their mum, but um, great to be with you today on this podcast and really fantastic, the work at Whitcliffe, so more than happy to be here and be able to try and be some sort of a blessing today. Yeah, we're stoked to have you with us, Graham. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, um, well, something we like to do on every podcast is um, to pray for five different nations um, each episode. Um, So this week we're going to be praying for um, Colombia, Comoros, Congo Republic, Cook Islands, and Costa Rica. Um, So we'll just pray for those right now. Okay. Um, Yeah, dear Lord, thank you so much for this day and just this opportunity we have to come together and just talk about um, you and our lives for you and um, the mission that you have um, set us all out for, Lord God. And um, today we just pray for those five nations, um, Colombia, Comoros, Congo Republic, Cook Islands, and Costa Rica. Um, I just pray over each of those nations, um, first for um, the, the governing bodies, the, um, the governments, Lord, that um, you would there would be a way for you to move in there, Lord, that, um, that um, yeah, the people um, in governance of those countries would... Um, um, be honoring to you and they would uh, make way for your word to be known in the countries Lord God I pray for all of the Bibleist people groups in each of those countries I pray that um, you prepare the hearts of those who haven't heard your word yet Lord and don't know you that they would um, receive the word and you would make a way in those communities for your word to um, be made known to them Father um, I just pray over this podcast that you would be in our midst and you'd be in Jesus. the in Jesus name Amen yeah. Amen, Amen. Awesome. Well, we have some icebreaker questions for you, Graham. Okay. So I hope you're ready. Uh, we'd love to hear the story behind you even becoming a pastor. Okay. I'll just quickly briefly mention those two of those countries. Yeah. Colombia. Um, mm. You don't mind Colombia. I've been there a lot of times and I started going there when the earlier days when the bombs were going off and, um, and working with an organization uh, called Convivencia, and Convivencia was um, amazing ministry started by WEC ministries, missionaries from New Zealand. Wow. Denise, Denise and Lindsay Christie went over 50 years ago, and they had four girls. Two of them returned and married in New Zealand, and two stayed there and married Colombians. Wow. And um, we've been working with them now for many years and, you know, child supporting children through their mercy ministry. Um, 
3,000 children in the slum, from the slum areas, building schools, doing micro-enterprise, micro-finance, um, health care. They've handed a lot of the health care over to the government. Um, but amazing, amazing families and amazing legacy that Lindsay and Denise um, have, have given their children and, and that nation. Wow. Uh, Lindsay's passed away. Um, Denise is still going strong. She's an amazing lady. And their youngest daughter, Missy, leads the Convivencia. She's the CEO, and her husband, Carlos, is a doctor and supports him, her. Um, and I've seen that country just literally change. You know, it's gone. It's a, it's a full-on revival there, but it still needs the Bible translated in some of those um, more uh, smaller unreached groups that are, you know, right through that whole, um, through that nation. But they have had a genuine Revival, but it's interesting that Alex was praying for the governing authorities because um, there's been amazing revival in all different denominations and churches, like hundreds of thousands. I've got a friend, who, friend there, his church. I started preaching for him when it was about six or seven hundred, which is a big church for New Zealand, but now it's forty thousand plus. Wow! And um, they have nine services a weekend, so. Uh, and, and that's just, you know, there is amazing growth here. But interesting, Alex prayed for the governance. Well, the, the area that they've identified is that while they've been experiencing revival, they haven't been filling those places of influence within the other structures within that. And, you know, the, the Seven Mountains, the, the, yeah. the kingdom, kingdom influence has not that, been that strong in the political realm. So wow. um, thank you for praying. And the other one is Cook Islands because we are involved with the Cooks at the moment, um, going to set up a, a time there with our Pacific to Nations ministry that I'm a part of. Um, and they, the Cook Islands, were the Cook Islanders were the first with Tahitians to take the gospel to the other Polynesian countries of Tonga and Samoa, Fiji, and, and even over to New Caledonia and Melanesia. So wow. I'm, just, I'm just referencing that before we, we carry on because of your praying for those, those, yeah. those countries. Cool. That's awesome, Graham. I was a happy surfer. <laughs> so I was a happy surfer. I had here in those days, uh, not anymore, but I'm really okay with it, no problem. Um, but I came to the Lord in Kaitaia. Uh, I was on a search. I love the surf up there, so I was a happy surfer. And um, while I was there in Kaitaia, even though I grew up in Glendowie and in and, and Auckland here, um, I travelled and lived with different cultures and over, overseas, but when I came back, I was on a big, massive search, so a spiritual search. Um, and when I was in Kaitaia, I just kept on searching, reading lots of literature, lots of books of different spiritual philosophies and religions and so forth. And then I met a guy at where I was working as a carpenter, uh, helping out, not as a qualified carpenter. And... Um, <laughs> He just invited me to church and uh, went along and heard the gospel really clearly in the music room of the Kaitaia College where the little church was meeting and for the first time heard that Jesus wa wanted to come into my life. Well, no one had ever told me that. No, I'd never heard the gospel clearly up until that. I was 20 years of age. Wow. So my initial thought was, who wouldn't want Jesus in their life? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's amazing. I didn't realize he he wanted to or could come into my life. I'd been confirmed and I'd done the confirmation, but I treated it more like a graduation. So it wasn't quite. I didn't quite get the right concept there. 
I graduated from church, I thought, when I got my confirmation. So at 20, a few years later, I actually asked the Lord into my life, and uh, that was uh, 1975, so a long time ago, and straight away felt the call to, to pastor, to share the Word of God, to share the Gospel, and straight away very much made sense of my call to missions as well. I had suddenly realized deep, deep, deep within me that Kopapa that God had set me aside for a purpose and it really, a whole lot of stuff made sense, a whole lot. I had this incredible love for learning about other cultures. The National Geographic was my favorite magazine. I'd <laughs> pour over it and, and, um, and just a whole lot of stuff made sense at that point. So that's how I became a Christian and had that call to be a pastor at that point and I prepared myself. Glenn and I met in the church, got married, had little Emma and Emma was only three weeks old when we went down to Faith Bible College to train there. And that was a marvelous experience, you know, very cross denominations, and, and um, it was a great experience there preparing. I wouldn't recommend it was a three week old baby, um, <laughs> and especially my wife wouldn't recommend it. But mm. we survived, and um, that prepared us. And, and we started to see the Lord just open up opportunity to train. We trained with those two. Um, two pastors, both who are missionary, the one that we came to Lord under, David Wallace and his wife Marilyn, had been missionary in Papua New Guinea and elsewhere. And then the one we trained under after David left to go to the mission field, he was 30, He went and spent 13 years in India. Um, then they, the next one, Evan Squires and his wife Trish, um, they had been missionaries in the Philippines. Hmm. So... Um, you know, so it kind of like reinforced and helped and encouraged and trained us and mentored us in, uh, in you know, ministry work and pastoral work, but also f um, fueling that fire for missions as well. So that's probably, that hopefully answers a bit of that first question. Yeah, that's great. You must be one of the few couples that met before Faith Bible College rather than at Faith Bible College. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Faith Bridal College, we call it. Right, right. <laughs> Seems to be the way that it is. Well, my second question for you, Graham, is what has God shown you as you and your church have navigated the impact of the pandemic? Yeah, good question, isn't it? Um, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3 and um, various translations, but the one that I like, it says, I'm afraid that lest the serpent has led you astray from the simplicity of, of devotion to Christ, or another translation from the sincerity and purity of devotion to Christ. And I, I just, I feel like from time to time, I remind myself and I, and I try and remind other Christians that there's a simplicity about our Christian walk. There's a simplicity about following Jesus. There's a simplicity about a devotion. And sometimes we get complicated. And I think the pandemic can bring us back to that simplicity of devotion to Christ. Yeah. Perhaps we haven't got the props. Perhaps we haven't got the same face-to-face, -face, um, you know, church life that we normally uh, enjoy, um, but it does help uh, hone us in onto that simplicity of devotion to Christ. So for me, um, it's about that intimacy, getting people, you know, myself and, and our people close to the Lord. So we actually have done a series of teachings on real basic things, you know, the Bible, 
uh, prayer. We've just been doing a massive series on prayer. I think we're up to our sixth or seventh one. We've just finished the other day. Matthew, um, our son, did the one on Sunday. He's a pastor with us for about the last 12 years or something. So he just did one on Sunday uh, on prayer. But we've also done on the Holy Spirit, um, and we've done some fundamentals, but all with trying to build that intimacy, that closeness. Um, and I think the pandemic does take away some of the props. It still hasn't stopped us really wanting to continue to be missional and to really be outward focused. So we still think the main thing is the main thing, which is the Great Commission, going and making disciples of all nations. It's yeah. still the main thing, and it'll always be the main thing until Christ returns. Yeah. Um, we've only got one shot at it, and it's now until he returns. That's our only opportunity um, to to share the gospel. So. We're still doing that and trying to do it locally as best we can, online. Our online services are reaching more people than ever came through the doors. Yeah. We're actually finding family. I'm finding family members, whānau, friends, um, you know, people um, that our, our people, not just myself, but our people are saying that some of their family and friends are coming online and they maybe don't watch it live, but they watch it later on in the week. Um, and that's been really powerful for us to see how much God is using that, yeah. um, praying for the people to come to Christ in those online services, praying for healing, uh, sharing the word. And then um, our people have been doing the praise and worship. They've been doing it in the different little bubbles. So we've got very musical, wonderful, you know, people that love the Lord. Yeah. And so they've been doing it in their bubbles. But we've got a very big bubble down here at, at Grace International it's got a transit accommodation of about 35 people. Yeah. So out of that, we've got quite a big bubble of musicians and singers. So we have to put a disclaimer and say, please don't ring the police and tell us off and get them to come and, and bust us <laughs> because we are actually a bubble. We are allowed to, to do the praise and worship. Um, we aren't mixing it because last time we had a COVID lockdown, somebody rung us because we used an old, service, um, praise and worship service. And somebody thought we were doing it live, so they sent the police down. So oh, wow. we, we have to do disclaimers now. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of food distribution. Uh, we always have um, bread for the sharing bread seven days a week for about the last 10 years. And through our ministry called East Care, but we've also stepped up the amount of food parcels we've been doing. It's amazing, boxes of food and and, and we've been given a lot, too, of food to be able to share and distribute to needy. So that's kept us through the, kept us going busy through the pandemic, been able to meet some of those physical needs and also sending more money overseas to help. Because as we know, over in those more vulnerable countries, they don't have governments um, with a big safety net supporting. Um, they their income stops the moment they stop working. So they've been incredibly vulnerable. So we've actually upped our giving. We're trying to be sending more money since last year to some of the more vulnerable places that we work, you know, that we work in and we partner with, with national people and with missionaries. So, uh, that's yeah, awesome. so, yeah, that's about, that's probably it about the pandemic, I think. Um, Yep. Yeah, I love that, that you said it just um, taking you back to the simplicity of being a follower of Christ. Yeah, I really love that. Um, so you said before that pretty much immediately after or pretty soon after you got saved, you were passionate about missions. But would you be able to expand a bit more on how you became passionate about missions? 
Okay, well, I've just I touched on it some of that, Alex, when I talked about the, you know, it made sense, the National Geographic. Um, mm. And I've actually, one of the places that I read about were the Dang Forest people in Gujarat, Maharashtra border area in mm. India. I've actually had the privilege of going there and ministering amongst them. And they're very much, a lot of Dang um, pastors have very much been part of the uh, pastors' conferences that I've been having the privilege to go up and do since 1999. Wow. And, um, and the gospel's grown tremendously in the Dang Forest area. Um, and working with the Gummit people, it's a people group there, um, and the Beal people, considered to be, you know, the tribal peoples are considered to be very low caste. Uh, they're part of the the, uh, the Dalit people, you know, overall. Um, but yeah, my mission passion was, you know, fueled by those first two pastors and their families, their wives, um, and then I began to. Um, look for opportunities. And the first one I did, I did it on Operation Mobilization, which is like the Dulos. It's like the Dulos or Logos. So Operation um, Mobilization had a ship um, that I went on called the Logos. And um, I went on that um, through a number of different Pacific Island nations and we distributed literature. We distributed um, uh you know, even just normal books to help train the people in those countries. And that um, was a great experience for me. I came back and the last country I went to was Solomon Islands. And while I was there, there was about five of us went to the island of Malaita. Uh, Malaita is one of the bigger islands there, most populated. And um, they chose five from the ship of about 150 to go to Malaita, not knowing, they show, asked me to go, not knowing that 10 years later, the Lord would call me back there um, full-time as a missionary. Wow. So I had a great time on the island of Malaita, and that was where my last country was. And then I flew from there to meet my wife and uh, Glenda and the two children in Sydney. Uh, so that sort of stirred my heart for missions. And then, uh, and then when I trained at Faith Bible College, uh, did some, uh, went and lived in, in back in Auckland for a while and then got called to pioneer a church on Waiheke Island. So I pioneered a church with Glenda in 1983 on Waiheke Island, the third most populated island in New Zealand. So uh, then uh, from there, after about eight years, I learned a lot there, um, pioneering in an island situation. God uh, called us to um, go and, and establish a Bible school in Malaita, back in that very place that I had been when I was um, with the Logos. Wow. And, um, you know, that was a, a great experience for us. The children were teenagers and when we went to the Solomon Islands and we established a Bible school and, you know, just from, from the, in the jungle, a lot of um, help from the Solomon brothers and sisters, a lot of help from, the, from New Zealand teams went up about, you know, many teams went up and helped us to build it. And then from there, we trained trained people from different denominations, not just our own denomination. But from there, I saw the value of equipping and training. And from the graduates of that, well over 100 churches have been planted around the Solomons from the graduates of, of the Bible school. So those things have fueled and been part of my missions experience. And when I came back to New Zealand... I did missions mobilization around New Zealand with about 75 churches around New Zealand for a couple of years. 
And that was a real passion. I love doing that. I love mobilizing churches for missions. And then that's when God called us. During that time, God was speaking to me about cleanliness, about planting a church here. And so we planted it with a, a missions heart from the start because that just reflected Glenda and myself. And we just planted it with, made, made sure that, you know, financially we were involved in, in missions right from the start um, and just carried on from there, training our people. Uh, most of our people have been, bo- that um, expression, born in our house, they've come to the Lord here in, in this Tamaki area. Um, they weren't so much transfer growth. So we've just taken them to different nations. Um, we've taken teams to about 23 different nations. Um and some many times, some some have gone. We've gone back repeatedly, and and we've got long term relationships with a lot of those nations, um, and that's probably something of the missions heart and spirit that um, we have wanted to see. It we wanted the missions to be at the heart of the church, not some periphery kind of extra optional thing, um, but just simply a part of local mission, and then going to the you know beyond that. To the nations. That's awesome, Graham. So cool to hear such a long history of a heart for for the nations. And this isn't one of the questions that I sent you in advance, so I hope you don't mind me asking this. But I'm really no. curious um, what your perspective is on burnout in pastors, and uh, how over that long long period of time of serving the Lord and serving people, you've managed to stay so full of life because I've hung out with you a few times and you're a pretty vibrant dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Esther. So are you. I think mm-hmm. I, I get uh, I get a lot of energy from you and Kayla too. Awesome. And your dad's pretty good too. Phil's yeah. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Um, he keeps you on your toes, doesn't he, Phil? He does, yeah. Um, no, I, I guess it is just come back to, um, you know, to trying to stay close, that simplicity of devotion, so that your work doesn't substitute for your relationship. So trying to get that right so that, you, you know, your, your ministry is coming out of that connectedness, out of that abiding, out of that intimacy, um, and trying to maintain that. I'm not necessarily, necessarily saying I'd get that right all the time, but just trying to do that. And the other thing was, one day I had the habit of going into my office on my day off, and um, one day the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you are dishonoring the Sabbath. Oh, so what? And um, he said, you're, you're not having a proper day off. And I said, but I'm enjoying it. He said, no, you need to do some recreation. So, um, so it was really clear. So I thought, okay, not going to the office. And I wanted to play golf. So I love golf. So the local golf club is only five minutes around the road. Uh, and that's where my mum and dad, uh, especially my father, he served that golf club like you and I served Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I wanted to go and play because it was so close. I didn't have to travel far. So I prayed, Lord, I can't afford to join. It's too expensive. Um, and the next minute they sent me an email and they said, oh, we've just changed all the rules. And if you're um, a family member of an existing member, you don't have to pay the $3,000 joining fee. Wow. So that was me. And so I got my golf fix. I try and have my golf fix every week. Hasn't worked out too well over the last <laughs> few months of lockdown. I was in Australia for a while. Um, but I had a game yesterday, played terribly, but loved getting out there in the, in the fresh air. I love uh, 
golf for me is is like neat face-to-face -face time with people that don't know the Lord. And I've had some amazing encounters with people coming. One of my best friends is he came back to the Lord through golf. Wow. He's, he's, he's Filipino, and uh, he's a great friend of mine. And he he came back to the Lord through me just playing golf. Um, so yeah, I think longevity. Uh, get that balance. Get that recreation. Yeah. You know, family. Um, I, I, you know, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Yeah. Do we believe that? Yeah. Do we believe that his yoke is easy? His burden is light. If we believe it, then that should be our experience, shouldn't it? Yeah. I remember really early on in our ministry, I was quite young, still a teenager, I think, and we visited Masterton. I, I want to say it was Masterton, and we stayed with this lovely old couple, so faithful, been in church, you know, for a really long time and just served all around the world and done all this stuff. And I remember we were about to leave and, and the woman came up to me and she grabbed my arm and she was like, honey, be not weary in doing good. And at the time, I was like, what the heck are you talking about? And honestly, that word has probably stayed with me more strong than any other word wow. that has been spoken wow. over my life. And I feel like... Um, for me, it's always in the moments where I do get into sort of stress mode or feeling the weight of everything that we might carry and all that sort of thing that that, that woman's words ring in my head every time, just be not weary and doing good. It's such a great scripture and reminder of like the privilege it is to serve. Yeah, um, so yeah. it really helps me as well. I love everything that you said, but yeah. Yeah, awesome. So good. Great anyway, answer. the actual, actual next question that I have for you <laughs> is uh, what are some highlights from your time as a pastor and on the mission field? You've already sort of shared some, but I'd love to hear yes, more. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the, uh, the highlight is always transformed lives. It's like seeing people, yeah. you know, just meet Jesus, and it's that encounter with Jesus that transformed people, um, that transforms us. And just seeing that, the beginning, you know, the beginnings of that, opening up to the gospel, uh, then fully receiving Christ, and then that discipleship journey, and seeing some of those people. Um, like I had a um, one of my pastors, Cook Island pastor, he passed away last year, not because of COVID, but he just passed away from another sickness. But um, his name was Paul Glassy, and um, he had been an alcoholic in this community and for 29 years. Everybody knew him, stumbling around the place, and um, got so hungry because he spent all his money on alcohol, he'd just sort of try and find eels in the local creek behind the church here <laughs> where, where um, Caleb and, and Phil and Esther have stayed, actually. Yeah, so, and we've walked by that creek too. I used to, yeah, that's the one where Paul used to get little runs. <laughs> yeah, he would get so hungry. That was the only he didn't have spend all his money on alcohol. He came to the Lord, you know, in the, through the ministry of the church, and he started to really go on well for the Lord. Um, loved the Bible, did some training at Bible college, you know, like block courses and enrolled in um, some face-to-face -face stuff that we had running here. We had a course running, and then he took it further and did some more courses. And he went with me to 32 countries. Wow. And um, just loved getting out there. And he shared his testimony. It was a very powerful testimony, but he also shared the Word of God really well. So he shared the Word of God on many different subjects and all around the world. So he's one of the people are always the highlights, I think. Um, he's one of the highlights. Um, I think equipping people to serve the Lord is, is just an ongoing highlight. 
Um, and, um, you know, like I said in the Solomons, just that period of time as a missionary. I, lo I really value short-term trips. I think I went about seven times, I think, to the Solomon Islands short-term and spent that time learning language and learning culture because uh, one of the basic ways, as you guys know, to show love and respect to a culture is to learn their language and to learn their customs and cultures, yeah. um, the aspects of their culture. Yeah. So I did those first seven times, just a lot of learning, sitting at, sitting at their feet, as it were, and learning, and then went back as a missionary. And they asked me, they asked me to go back to establish a Bible school there. So that was a real highlight for Glenda and I. We always think back to that time. Matthew and, La, Matthew and Emma loved it. Our time um, highlights, other highlights would be um, just seeing, we've had this lady, Api Tonga, who, Tonga, Tongan lady, and she's come to the Lord through um, CAP, which is Christians Against Poverty. So I'm sure you guys have heard that. Yeah. Um, we were one of the kind of early adopters of that ministry some years ago. And Pastor Martha, one of our pastors, she runs that ministry. Well, she, um, this lady, Apitanga, came to her needing help with, with budgeting and finances, and she was in a mess. And um, through CAP, uh, Apitanga got financial literacy, got on top of things, got debt-free. Mm -hmm. But most of all, she came to the Lord. And then mm -hmm. the whole family started coming to the Lord. And, um, and then she got out of debt, and then Apitanga was, you know, able to pay for a missions trip Finance, you know, pay for the airfare with cash, and we went to Baguio. So we went to Philippines, and uh, Martha was there, and one of our other Samoan leaders, Cecilia, went there, and we had a fantastic time just um, ministering there. I caught up with them and did something with the leaders there as well for a few days and kind of overlap with that, that small team. Now, Apitanga is just she invited recently, um, not long ago, about a, uh, within a year ago, I think it is, she invited um, her um, niece, she calls her, the niece calls her auntie from Tonga, who had this massive big growth on her face. I'm not sure if you saw the program um, about nine days ago, Alex, on, on current, on the, the Sunday night program. I think it's just called Sunday. Oh, and yeah. it's about this Tongan lady came with this massive big growth. Her name was Via. And Via um, came and stayed with Apitanga. Apitanga's family loved on her, brought her to church. She came really close to the Lord, coming to church. She had some kind of faith, but she was really uh, had a, got into a good relationship with the Lord. All these plastic surgeons donated their time, hospital yeah. donated facilities, and she had this massive growth removed off of off her face. And now her, it's you know some normality there. Um, and she's getting ready to go back to her nine children back in Tonga with the husband back there wow. waiting for her to be restored. And it was such an encouraging program. I mean, we just had a little part as a church just supporting, but mm. the real hero is Apitanga who came to the Lord through the cat ministry and um, got discipled and, and now the whole family and, and all these other neat things have happened through that. So I think, People following Jesus is probably the biggest highlight. Um, mm. And I've enjoyed the mission where I've enjoyed the countries because God called me to that. So when, I've, I've, when I say I've ministered in about 45 plus countries, that's because that's simply outworking the call of God. Yeah. And I haven't had the money to do that. God's provided 
amazingly, amazingly to me to, to go to those nations. And some of those nations we've got a long, we've had long-term relationship with yeah. uh, in yeah. terms of partnering with locals, with national people there, or with missionaries there. So, um, and the thing, and the scripture side of it, scripture side of it is Book of Acts and uh, Acts of the Holy Spirit. So I believed all those years that we need to be led by the Holy Spirit in missions because it's His mission. It's a, yeah. another, I think they use the Latin expression, Missio Deo. So it's the mission of God that He's invited us to be a part of. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit is the executor of that. And you read through the book of Acts, and sometimes I'm reading through the book of Acts, and I'm weeping because I'm seeing how much the Holy Spirit loves yeah. the people groups. He loves these people groups. Yeah. He wants to get the Bible translated uh, into those mother tongues, those heart languages. Uh, he loves these people that haven't yet heard the gospel, and you see that in the book of Acts. You see, yes, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but I tell you, without the Holy Spirit, nothing would have happened, would it? <laughs> so I love I love seeing that. I love the examples of the Antioch Church, missionary church, multicultural, uh, fivefold ministry. So it expressed itself through the fivefold ministry. Um, love worshiping the Lord, love fasting, and while they were doing that one day, just doing their loving worshiping, fasting, seeking the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul," and then began those missionary journeys yeah. that we see so much of the New Testament is about. Those churches being planted, and then, of course, all the epistles that were written uh, to encourage them in the years that followed. So, and the other church is Philippian Church. The Philippian Church is another example, model church for 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 us as a church here in in, uh, in New Zealand and Aotearoa is Phili the Philippian Church. And um, you know, Paul received a lot of help on a consistent, fairly consistent basis from the Philippian Church. So they were a good sending church. Yeah. Um, yeah. They provided and they got the gospel to places that it hadn't got to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that you say the highlight is just transformed lives. Um, it reminds me of what um, Rob, the Wycliffe director, was saying in his episode a few um, episodes ago um, about how, you know, it's easy to get caught up in thinking within the context of Bible translation that the goal is just to have a trans, uh, translated Bible, but really the goal is transform lives and um, keeping that at the centre of all we do is, yeah, yeah. quite important. <laughs> totally. I I, also... I'll just give you one story. Is that all right? One more. Yeah. Quick one. Go for is it. Is that just um, off what Alex said? I had it down here, but I can't. Um, when, I, when I lived as a non-Christian amongst the indigenous people of New Caledonia, the Connect people, and I lived in the city uh, with them, with the young ones, and then they invited me to go and live with the older people up in the country on the, on the sea or along the seaside with their tribe and their village. And this old chief there called Wakolo, and um, him and I, he looked after me and his wife. Oh, it's such a, I loved my time there living with them. That was amazing. But we, none of us were Christians. They weren't, and I wasn't at that stage. Well, I came to the Lord. And um, then a few years later, I was on the Logos, uh, no, where was I was? Yes, on the Logos, we called in to Numea, and I went and stayed with them. I got permission to go from the ship and stay with them. Well, he'd come to the Lord. <laughs> I'd come to the Lord. He'd come to the Lord. How did he come to the Lord? Through Wycliffe Bible Translators. Wow. They had been gone to their village, and they mm -hmm. asked him as a chief if he could help them because he knew the language very well. He helped them. 
while he's helping them with Bible translation, he comes to Jesus. Wow. Yeah. So for me, it's really powerful. That's uh, so cool. The whole, whole experience is very powerful yeah. for me. means a lot to me. So I've had a chance to go back a couple of times. He's passed away, and so the, the mother has passed away that looked after me as well. And mm. um, I'm still close with the family there, still close. That's so cool. You know, great testament to your work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a great um, story from Wycliffe. I just wanted yeah. to say as well and highlight, um, Graham, that you mentioned in passing that you really value short-term missions, not just long-term missions. And um, I, I really appreciate that you, you say that as someone who has a lot of experience because right now around the world in a lot of circles, there's a lot of flack for short-term missions and a lot of... Um, you know, sarcastic jokes in certain circles about how, you know, it's just going to a place and and making yourself feel good and self-edifying. And, and so I really do appreciate um, that you do value short-term mission as well as long-term mission and not just for getting to go to these places, but actually because it, it does enable you to sit under these different people groups and hear the language and immerse yourself in the culture and, and develop a heart for the people. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that you said that too. No, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously you've been serving in the church and you said serving the Great Commission is quite central to that for quite a long time. Um, but how do you see the role of Bible translation um, in relation to the church and the Great Commission? I think they go hand in hand very much, Alex, because um, if I, just this is broadly speaking, not necessarily totally uh, down to the last one, but there's 24,000 people groups, distinct people groups who have their own language, custom, ethnicity in the world. Of those 24,000, they say approximately there's about 3,000 that would be considered unreached or the least reached, that haven't got a self-propagating, they haven't got a self-propagating church. But that mirrors very much what, what remains in terms of languages that needed to be, you know, the Bible needs to be translated into. So uh, I saw statistics from Wycliffe, I think approximately 3,000, depending on, you know, the um, depending on how you define it. But um, definitely similar mirroring of unreached people groups to the need for Bible translation. So I see them as going um, very much hand in hand. And I know how much our people, we've got a lot of cultures in our church, about 20 cultures. So when mm -hmm. our people hear a song, because we'll sometimes use a song um, in the, or part of a song or a version of the song in different languages, or sometimes we read scriptures, we'll just read through uh, the scriptures in, in, in the different languages. Um, we'll get, you know, a Nuean or a Tongan or a Samoan or Maori to read the scripture. Um, and I know at those times you can sense and see how much that means to those people, not just in an emotional sense, but deepest, the deepest sort of recesses of the heart. This is their language. This yeah. is language is incredibly powerful, important. That's why I'm so, so in favor of Tereo being just becoming widespread in New Zealand. Yeah. And I'd love to see Tereo being, you know, just compulsory right through primary school our mm -hmm. primary school kids come out to high school and that you know got that they can speak um you know not necessarily fluently but they can be a little bit confident and into you know obviously a bit more optional in high school and above but i just know that language is powerful and so that's why 
I just believe scripture being in the heart language of people is incredibly powerful for their knowing God, for their discipleship, um, for their sense of identity, um, you know, and so we, we one of the greatest um, pictures in the Bible in, the, in, in Revelation, it's the picture of all the tribes and nations yeah. gathered around the throne. Revelation There's 7, No big right? shots. No, no, all the big shots have had to cast their crowns down as well, haven't they? Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's just human beings who have met Jesus yeah. from every tribe, from every culture, from every nation. And uh, Wycliffe has got a, an important part to play. And, and making that, it's already, we've, we get a glimpse of it in, in Revelation as if it's already happened, don't we? Yeah. And yet it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. And it's churches taking seriously the Great Commission, and part of taking the Great Commission seriously is, is Bible translation work. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, super awesome. Well, I think we're coming toward the end of our time together, um, but we'd love to hear, Graham, how people can support what you're doing. Yeah, I was a bit puzzled when I read that scripture. Uh, I mean, that test, uh, that um, question, sorry. <laughs> it's not a scripture, is it? Thou shalt support. Um, it'd be neat, but I mean, it's not. I'm, I'm sure when people listen, they might be like, well, I'd love to support and be part of that, you know. Yeah, well, we do, um, we work in our website, we have got, we've written in our website, there's a little bit about some of the countries and missionaries that we support, about 20 different countries, uh, 20 different partnerships in in 20 different nations and people groups. Um, Now, some we're allowed to show some things, but some we have to be quite discreet and, uh, of course, because of where they are. Um, We are supporting a guy, we're the only church that supports this person, a young couple, young couple working in Vietnam, working amongst um, a, a people group in the north of that country. And they're just, they're, uh, he and his friend are up to 58 churches they've planted. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Awesome. And we met them when they hadn't planted any. We'd wow. been there. He was my translator helping me with the pastors conference. And I said to him, what are you going to do? Um, and uh, he said, I've got a heart to reach these people. And I said, well, okay, because the Lord has spoken to me about the same people group, the same people group the Lord has spoken to me about wow. the same day that I asked him, what are you going to do? So that's why missions is Holy Spirit led. Yeah. And so we began to support him as the only external, even his own denomination didn't, couldn't support him. They didn't have the money. And now he's got 58 churches. So um, we're sending some money this week to that, to that couple. And they've also got another little church where they're based in another city in Vietnam. But he travels up and ministers a lot in this people group. Um, so, yeah, it's just if you want to, you can go on the website. You could, um, you know, there might be one of the people groups, one of the nations that you're quite interested in, like to help. And we'd just make sure, um, send an inquiry, send an email. We can email you the, the um, uh, missions account number. I think a missions account might be on our Facebook page as well. Cool. Um, we sometimes put it up there on Facebook. Um, on our Grace International Facebook is another way of connecting with us. Um, but their website is um, www.graceinternational.org.nz if awesome. you want to support. Thank you. 
Yeah, we'll make sure that we put a link to it when we post the video as well, just so that everyone can easily find you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you oh, for joining us. Um, I love listening to what you have to say about, you know, missions and just hearing your heart and your passion for it. It's been yeah. really cool to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so for the next episode, we will have um, – I guess will be someone uh, with New Zealand member. So we'll be hearing some of the stories from time in the field. Um, and another thing that we're starting up is trying to get questions from just people we know from viewers, listeners, um, and we can start to answer those questions in the episodes as well. So um, send us any questions you have as well. Um, yeah. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this if you want to hear more um, of these episodes in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Bye guys. Bye.